Hey everybody, welcome to episode 9 of Boy Meets Tech. This week we are joined by Brendan Kane. He is a social media guru and a social media advisor to multiple companies and multiple celebrities and also the author of 1 Million Followers, How I Built a Massive Social Following in 30 Days. And without further ado, let's get to this great episode. Well, I'd love to start with just kind of getting um, a little background on kind of what led you here today um, and kind of, you know, what kind of got you really focused in on, on social media um, and being an advocate for both brands and, and people to really grow their presence on social media. Well, I first actually started off in entertainment and I wanted to be a film producer and went to film school to learn the business side of film and then just quickly realized as soon as I got to film school, they don't teach you anything about business there. So I felt that the, the best way to really learn about business was start your own. And the most cost-efficient way at the time, and it still holds true today, is to start an internet company. So I started a few internet companies while I was going to college to, to learn and, and experiment and, and just learn the fundamentals of what it takes to operate a business and, and, and business principles. And then when I moved out to L.A. in 2005 to pursue a career in film, it's when the entertainment industry started to reawaken it digital after the dot-com bust. And I'm always looking at things of how you can be unique, how you can stand out, how you can be different. And I just saw that there was a lot of high-profile executives, producers, directors, and actors that were asking questions about how we leverage social media, how we leverage technology platforms and digital media to promote our films. So to get my foot in the door, I basically had leveraged that knowledge that I created those internet companies to forge those connections and projects. And that's really kind of what set me off down that path. And can you kind of give a little bit more background on, on kind of the, the three internet companies that you started? I, I had read that you had started an application that converted Facebook pages to, to websites. Was that one of the companies that you were talking about? No, this was uh, that that application was far after that. Uh, okay. I don't even know if Facebook was even really fully formed at that point, but I had created, there was a email marketing business that I created. There was a traffic building application that we actually acquired for a very nominal amount that, that we were, we acquired and then were running for people. And then there was a, a DVD rental website that we were testing as well. And then kind of having the insight of both starting a company and then also being able to really grow a social presence. What are the mistakes and pitfalls that you see startups really make? I mean, from day one, um, really kind of start trying to create a presence on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter um, versus what they're doing versus kind of how you advise them to do that. Well, I think that the first question and the first area of focus that I go into is why are you doing it? Like, what is your mindset? Like, what are you trying to achieve? Because that will dictate everything. It'll dictate the strategies that you use, how much time and money you're willing to invest. So first and foremost, understanding the fundamentals of your business, what's going to drive the growth of your business, your startup. So for example, if you are an e-commerce company, I really wouldn't focus on followers in the beginning. I would focus on how you can create campaigns that are going to drive leads, drive sales. And then through that profit and revenue, then you can go back and reinvest in, in follower growth. Versus if you're a musician or an artist or an author or somebody's career that's based off of validation and credibility and the, the attribution of revenue or the return on investment can come from a strategic partnership or signing a record deal or things of that nature, then, yeah, it makes sense to, 
to focus on generating the followers first. So why am I doing this? What does the end goal look like? And how is that you know, return on investment going to come in? And let that be your guiding light of how much time and money you invest. Because people get into this and they don't realize how much work and effort goes into it. And then they oftentimes will quit or they just, they just feel like it's, it's just too daunting of a task. Uh, the, the second part that I think that people really go, go wrong is not really understanding content, you know, because content is critical to both growth of followers and to engaging audiences is the most important thing. If you don't have content, you don't have anything. So really understanding that you need to get in the mindset of constantly testing and learning, doing competitive analysis of figuring out what content formats, themes, and stories are going to work for your audience and the audience that you're trying to get to perform a specific action and spend most of your time focused on that. And then, you know, I think, uh, I think that's a great point. And in terms of the audience though, I think, you know, an exercise that a lot of startup founders always do is like describe your key person that's buying this product or uses this platform or this application do you think that you should go into it with the mindset of like, I need to find this specific person or just like, Hey, let me generate content that, you know, is really specific to my brand. Um, and, and the users that really are interested in this will find it. Or do you think you should specifically target those users ahead of time? It depends. Like if you're running, if you're running campaigns, like advertising campaigns to drive leads or drive sales, and obviously you've got to go narrow in on the specific audience that's going to be purchasing your product. But, but I, th- I would say one mistake that people make is oftentimes they will make that assessment before it's even proven. So okay. you can go in there and say, oh, I think it's going to be males 18 to 30 years old. But until that's proven, you don't really know if males 18 to 30 years old are going to buy your product. Who knows? Maybe it's males 30 to 40 years old or in some strange situation, maybe your product is better fit for females. Who knows? But I think that first and foremost, you've got to prove your hypothesis of who your core audience is. And then once it's proven, if you're running direct response campaigns or advertising campaigns, leveraging social, then yes, be very hyper-targeted in terms of the audience that, that you're reaching out to. Now, if you're doing, if you're just trying to generate a following, generate reach, generate engagement, we typically go a bit broader. And, and how do we make content as viral as possible so that we, we can reach the widest audience possible? because that will increase the level of shareability and organic virality out of the content. And then by doing that, you're, you are going to hit your core audience. So let's just say that your content, again, is, is targeted for males 18 to 24, but you get 100 million views on a video. Obviously, you're going to hit a lot of 18 to 24-year-old males within that. And at the same time, you're building your brand and uh, building awareness at the same time. Now, I'm not saying it's that easy to generate, that but a lot of the 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 people that work in my team have had that level level of success so that's kind of the approach and the mindset that they have at it also just to kind of give you a quick case study i worked with a company called chatbooks that's the number one online photo printer in the world who i think they have about a million subscribers at this point and they came to me with a mother's day campaign with a great piece of of creative and said we want to target uh, females 45 plus and I just said, hey, let me just go in and test this and see who this content resonates with first. And in doing that, when I got into the testing and the data, what I saw was actually re- resonating more with females 18 to 25. And what was happening is those females 18 to 25 were sharing and tagging their mothers in the content. 
So what we were doing is we were actually hitting our core audience in a far more powerful and effective way because it was a daughter connecting with their mother on it and, and sharing and tagging them in it. So it was building that emotional bond between the, those two, between the daughters and mothers. And it was also exposing their product to a completely new audience. Okay. So it kind of just, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that makes I mean, a lot of sense in terms of just not really generalizing, but going in with an idea, but also being open to, you know, finding a new user base. And I think for us too, I mean, I, I mean, as we just started our company, you know, seven months ago, I think we get into this, um, you know, mix of like, what is valuable content and, and for the user, I think for the individual and both for the company, both, both trying to figure out what's valuable content to put out there. Do you, do you think that people should worry about specifying for that? Or do you think they should almost go through the model of like document everything, put it out there and then see what resonates? Well, I'm a huge believer in testing. Like that's where you really learn in, in, in testing the hypothesis that you have. Just don't go all in on one specific direction until it's proven. But I think that, that another area of, of shifting mindset is don't think about what you you, you yourself as the startup is valuable, think is valuable. Think about it from the audience perspective is like, what does the audience want to see? What do they deem as being valuable content? What's going to entertain them? What's going to cause them to share? And I know it sounds kind of like simple, but most people don't think about content in that way. They think about content from how they perceive the world and then what they want to get across in terms of their product or service, not about what the audience is going to want. Because again, like the, the whole thing is like people hate to be sold to, but mm -hmm. they love to buy. And that's right. one of the biggest things is like we can all agree that we hate telemarketers because they annoy the hell out of us and they just call us randomly. But yet when people are creating content or trying to sell a product, they, t they tend, to say, tend to take the same approach of I'm just going to sell my product and just do what I want and get something I want out of the relationship and, and instead of what is going to really – build value for the person on the other side of the screen. And, and I heard you bring up this word a few times in, in past articles and, and some interviews, but does this go back to kind of finding your hook point? Yeah, I think that hook points is, is one of the, the areas that I, I like to focus on people that I work with uh, because I think it's so valuable. You know, the reality of the situation is, is we live in a three second world today as we have less than three seconds to capture somebody's attention because there's over 60 billion messages sent on digital platforms each day. If you don't find a way to stand out above all that noise, you're going to get lost in that clutter. So what I look at it is like, what is that hook point that's going to capture them in that first three seconds to bring them in so that you can then communicate your real message. So one of the exercises that I give to people is that if you are given the cover of a prominent magazine in your niche and your your editor, the editor of that magazine calls you and says, hey, listen, we're giving you this cover. You're the only person on it. What do you want your headline to be? And your headline could be only less than one sentence. And when thinking and brainstorming about what that headline would be, just imagine your core audience walking down a busy street of a, of a major city, passing a magazine stand, and there's 50 other magazines on that stand. And yours is just one. So what is that headline that's literally going to make this person, this core audience or core customer walking down this busy street, stop, pick yours out, out of 50 different ones, pick it up, buy it and read it because it's that difficult. So, but when doing that, I don't say just come up with one, come up with as many as you can think of, come up with five, 15, 25, whatever that may be, and then go out and test them. 
and see what is it that really grabs somebody's attention. And I think this, this exercise really helps people distill down what their value is and what's going to attract that audience to, to, to stop and, and also what differentiates you from your competition. Yeah, I think that's a great. But I don't think, you know, I don't think startups especially spend enough time really testing that or really putting themselves in the position of, of the person who's actually purchasing the product or, or buying, you know, using their platform. So I think that's, you know, a great kind of two cents there. I also kind of wanted to shift to, to your role as an advisor. Um, you know, I think, you know, as a startup founder, sometimes we get sold on advisors a lot. Like someone can help us with sales. Someone can help us with marketing. How do you, how would you kind of tell somebody who's in my role, how to navigate when looking for someone to be an advisor? Because sometimes you get general broad stroke kind of information versus very specific information that can help you grow your business, grow your social media following. Um, could you kind of speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, I've been a, an advisor for big brands, corporations and celebrities, and I've hired advisors. I've been on both sides of the equation and, you know, I've been burned uh, hiring the wrong advisors and, you know, it's, it can be a blessing or a curse. And like you said, is like hiring the right people and trusting the right people can sometimes be difficult. I mean, some of the questions that I first asked myself is, has this person done it? You know, have, have this person, has this person done what they're advising me about? And does this person talk about their failures or do they just talk about their successes? Because the, the true people that can advise you on the highest level and help you succeed, a lot of what they're going to teach you or help you with is where they failed in the past. And that's what people don't realize is people just look at people's successes, whether even at the highest levels, like a Mark Cuban or some of these people that are ultra successful, they just look at the success and they don't pay attention to the failures. So if you're looking to hire an advisor, are they just trying to sell me on all the success that they have in the past? Or are they being open and transparent with me about where they've struggled in the past and how they can leverage those learnings to help steer you in the right direction? So I think that, that that's one specific area that I like to focus on with the people that I work with. And one of the, the, the questions is, is like, hey, if I work with you, where in the past has it not worked? You know, like if you've advised other companies in the past or other entrepreneurs or CEOs and it didn't work, why didn't it work? What was it about that relationship that just didn't, just didn't pan out? And most people don't ask, answer that question and just get a real sense of engage of, of what their response looks like. And then I think also is like, what, what does their network look like? Like if they're advising you on marketing, do they have a network of experts in marketing that they can refer you to? If they, if they don't, why is that? Why is that that they don't have experts or other people that they can connect you to? Yeah. I don't think if you, if you don't have a case study that you could apply and easily see that they were successful there, I, I think that's definitely, you know, a sign to run for the hills. Um, and, you know, I know that, you know, may, some people might not be in the position to, to really afford an advisor or bring somebody on for an advisor. In that terms, they might refer them to your book. Can you kind of speak a little bit to the book and kind of the use cases for that and, and really what that is a good tool for? The book is called One Million Followers, How We Built a Massive Social Audience in 30 Days. And the premise behind the book is that I've spent 15 years uh, working with some of the biggest brands, celebrities and corporations in the on the planet. And it's, you know, definitely one thing to help an MTV or a Taylor Swift people at the highest levels, but I really wanted to know and understand 
like what can be done for people starting from scratch, starting from zero, whether that's an individual, an entrepreneur, a startup. Uh, so I ran a case study on myself, leveraging all of the expertise and knowledge that I gained over the years uh, to amass a following of a million followers in 100 countries in less than 30 days. So about 25 to 30% of the book just breaks down the systems that I use to do, and it, it dives uh, pretty deep into the testing methodologies that I use uh, in terms of how I test hook points, how I test content to acquire followers or perform other types of interactions. And then the rest of the book is I went off and interviewed uh, some of my top uh, growth partners and, and people that I've admired over the years to get their growth strategies on how they've achieved uh, massive success in their business or, or building followers. Uh, because I, I firmly believe that there's not a one-size-fits-all strategy that works for everybody. Is there's different ways of achieving things. And you know, when we talk about advisors, if there's an advisor telling you there's only one way of doing something, I, I'd probably run for the hills with that because there's, there's always multiple ways to be successful in any aspect of business. Uh, so that's really where I set out is like I wanted to provide all of my information and my strategies. And if it's not the right fit for an individual or a company, then we have access to some of the brightest minds that, that dive into how they approach social and digital growth. Yeah, I think I mean I think that's definitely a valuable tool and, and something we'll definitely link to in the show notes. Um, and and kind of to wrap up here, um, I'd love to just kind of know what excites you the most about the future of, of digital marketing, social media marketing, and, and and if there's maybe a platform that people aren't really using a lot right now that you can see as really becoming a large platform in the future, um, specifically for you know social marketing. Well, to me, I think that what's exciting is just that we're in the earliest stages of this. It's it's very early on and just the, the massive adoption that we've seen in such a short period of time, the fact that there's, you know, almost, almost a, a half of the world's population is connected through these digital platforms and it continues to evolve and grow. And just the fact that an individual sitting behind his desk can connect with so many people in such a short period of time and that companies are, are, Billion-dollar companies are formed in years instead of decades. I think that that's only going to be a reoccurring theme, and it's actually going to grow even faster. Uh, in terms of platforms, like I, I still believe, from a social perspective, in the main three, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, I think that they're going to be predominant players for, for quite some time. People don't give them enough credit because they look at how fast uh, a MySpace or a Friendster had dropped off. What they don't realize is that these companies have some of the smartest people in the world working on it. And they are, they have behavioral scientists just working on honing in how you make people result to using these platforms on a daily basis and, and, and using them as much as possible. So I don't really see any of these platforms falling off anytime soon. I think that really the, the best place to look, if you want to see where the future is going is just look at mobile devices and where the hardware is actually innovating because that's going to dictate how these social platforms evolve over time is the, the more that the smartphone changes and evolves, that's going to dictate where the innovation goes on, on the social and the application side. Great. Well, I, I think that you definitely gave some actionable advice. Um, definitely not just like broad stroke stuff that nobody could really apply. I think people, whether they're have a startup or they're just looking to grow their personal brand can definitely apply these lessons We'll definitely link to the book um, in the show notes, but if you have anything else that you'd like to plug or kind of uh, bring people to, um, that'd be great as well. 
yeah, if just people are interested and they want to reach out, they can they can check out my website, brendanjkane.com. Brendan spelled B-R-E-N-D-A-N and Kane is K-A-N-E. Or they can email me directly, uh, B is in boy, Kane, K-A-N-E at brendanjkane.com. Or they can uh, direct message me on in- Instagram at Brendan Kane. All right. Great, Brendan. Thanks so much for the information. And we really appreciate your time today. For sure. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that amazing episode. As usual, we are brought to you by WeStock. WeStock is the best platform to find and support your favorite CPG products now available in the App Store. Also, you can find more information at WeStock.io.